you're seeing that small to medium-sized businesses are jumping on board by the thousands every day onto these no-code platforms. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Schrocki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Welcome to another episode of SAS Scaled. I'm pleased here to be with John Darbyside and he's CEO of Smart Suite. And you're going to have some good discussions around a couple of topics. But before I start, John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. And it's a pleasure to be on here and pleasure to meet you, Armin. I'm married. I live in Southern California. I have a couple of grown kids. I've spent about 30 years kind of in the, the tech side of software development, mainly. The first 10 years of my career was focused more in a corporate setting where I had positions in smaller companies. And then within, I ran a global practice inside of Ernst & Young for a period of time. And then the last 20 years of, of my career has been more focused on being an entrepreneur. I started and sold a company, Archer Technologies, to one of the large tech firms. That company is still in existence today. Uh, retired for a, a period of time and invested in about 400 startup companies, either direct or through a series of venture funds, and then kind of got the bug to be an entrepreneur again about three years ago and started a company called SmartSuite. SmartSuite is a work management platform that allows companies to manage any process or any project on a single platform. The idea behind SmartSuite was to allow companies to move away from needing six or seven different products for their employees to do their job each day from forms and collaboration and project management, process management, integration, all those types of things we built into a single platform. It took us about two and a half years with a development team of about a hundred to build that core platform. And we just released that publicly about three months ago. Fantastic. So what is the differentiation between, for example, and it might be super basic question, but what's the differentiation between, for example, what you guys do and some other existing no-code or low-code applications and platform frameworks in the market. Is there anything, any specific aspect and perspective that you wanted to bring into you know, a smart suites and say, this is really a smart suite needs to do this better than anybody else, any particular aspect? Sure, yeah. So no-code in general is a concept that means that Regular everyday users, a lot of times called citizen developers, are able to use drag and drop features to build processes or projects, you know, workflows inside of an organization. It's a concept in the last three years that is really taking off. And you see that both inside of point solutions, like maybe a sales solution, a CRM solution, a marketing solution. 
specific just to that process, but it uses drag and drop technology for people to configure those flows. You also see it inside of project management tools that are maybe more point solutions as well, where they're really good at project management and they give you all the tools to do that, but it's specific around project management. Then you have process management tools that are the same thing, no code that allow you to manage different workflows in your business. What's different about SmartSuite is we try to give you all of those no code capabilities that I just talked about in a single platform. So you don't need to have a point solution for your CRM, you may be HubSpot for your, your marketing, maybe Zendesk for support tickets, maybe Bamboo for HR. Like we allow you to have all of those core processes in one platform. The value that we're trying to bring is really twofold. The, the first is around there's a reduction in license fees uh, that you have to worry about as a company with those annual or monthly or annual subscriptions. But secondly, which is even more important, is when you onboard and offboard employees inside of your organization, you only have to train them one time on how to use a platform and they understand the concepts around how you run your business in general. All the data that you have is stored inside of a core platform. So as employees leave, you don't have to maybe track data down that they had in four or five other systems that they were using. It's just available for the next person that you begin to onboard. And I could go on for 20 minutes on value props around smart suite or no code in general, but that's the, the general idea. Great. And then in general, talking about no code, first of all, what's your perspective on no code versus low code? Because some platforms may come to market and they may provide some level of coding. It's not a lot, but they may believe that low code provides you the ultimate flexibility. And if you use a no code, some people believe that it may limit the capabilities and flexibility that the application and the platform may offer you to the point that it's not that mighty anymore, even if it's simple. So what's your perspective on that argument, that low-code versus no-code? Sure. I think what you're seeing is that no-code is becoming so powerful, especially just in the last couple of years, it's beginning to displace a lot of the things you would have to do with low-code in the past. We've figured out ways to do that using interfaces that are drag and drop and elements of components that can be reused that allow just an everyday user, a citizen developer that knows the process they want to configure that without the need to use a developer to write code. Some of the more established platforms like uh, maybe a ServiceNow and maybe a Kentone, some people that are kind of in that broader process management space, they started out as low code, no code, meaning that they have a core platform and then you can write scripts and, and do a lot of interesting things on top of that for the coding. What's happened recently with the newer entries like SmartSuite into the market is that that's built into our core platform. So you get scripting as, as a part of automations and integrations. We also have you know, a large number of integrations to other platforms through products like Zapier or Make or either native to our own platform. So that's a long-winded answer, but to kind of summarize that, I feel that you're going to see no code become the prominent player longer term in the space that reduces the need for company to have developers on staff to do the low code portion. So it's going to be much more efficient and much more you know, financially viable for them long term in a no code platform. And what do you think drove that kind of change? Because, for example, if you look at the last 10 years, 
was there any particular technology that came to market that accelerated it was just a matter of time to come up with the right design what was the main drive or what drove that wave yeah let, let me go back maybe 20 years ago i created one of the one of the initial no code platforms on the market was archer technologies we focused on helping organizations manage security processes inside their organization. That market became known as the governance, risk, and compliance space kind of over time that's there. And when we had our first customer, EDS, we would go to them and we would build what they were asking for to solve these process problems. And they would come back and say, that's great, but can you change this field type from checkboxes to radio buttons or to a dropdown, right? And they kept having changes. And so from a no-code perspective, what we did was we allowed them to just easily configure that. That was just a configuration versus it being hard-coded that was in there. And at that time, there weren't a lot of great technologies that allowed us to do you know, a lot of interesting things with the UI, performance of computers weren't as fast, resolution on computers wasn't good. What's happened in the, in the last seven or eight years, and really in the last three specifically, is the technology has caught up with the ideas that people had around no code. So now there are great backend technologies that we can use that provide components and things, libraries that already provide certain capabilities like grid controls and calendar controls and Kanban controls that before we would have to manually build all of that ourselves. We can hook into those. The world of integration has greatly changed with Zapier and Make and products like that, that when you integrate with maybe Zapier, it's integrated with 5,000 other products already. So it really opens the doors for customers not to need to write code. They can use drag and drop to actually turn on the integrations. So it, it's really the combination of the these new technologies that are available that we can use both on the front end and the back end, and then the computing power and the amount of memory that are now in laptops allow us to do things faster, more efficient in a way that before we always had to worry about memory. Right. So we couldn't serve you the things as fast as we, was, we would want to serve them because you didn't have you know, the memory that we needed. And you raised a very good point that, for example, if you look back at 20 years ago, then you see most of these software applications and products coming to market. They had to build almost the entire thing on their own if you are a software vendor versus if you look at many of these vendors coming to market today, Actually, it's the teamwork if you look at what they do. Even if the new operating system, I would say, like the cloud operating system, like AWS, it's much richer than, for example, what you had in your previous operating system. So you can really ask for a lot of more services and it helps you to scale, auto-scale. It helps you to even you know, add more algorithms there if you need more machine learning, AI, whatever you know, you might need, there are a lot of services that allows you to leverage them. So, so essentially software development has become more a kind of, you know, how to really know a lot of capabilities and how to well integrate with them and just building on top of everything else to get faster where you want it to be and build something better rather than reinventing the wheel all the time. Exactly. I'll give you an analogy. And what we built at Archer Technologies in 10 or 10 and a half years from a development standpoint, we were able to replicate that in two and a half years, plus add about 50% more than what we had developed over that 10-year period prior. 
because of the technology, the relationships with companies like AWS that just makes things easier and it makes the products much more robust. And I think in general, across the no code world, you're seeing that that's happened across every type of product. The interfaces are much more rich, much more user-friendly. Things are faster. They serve you data faster. They're integrated. That's just part of, of the new world of software development that's really beginning to take off. And then at, on top of that, I think there is the other trend that you have access to also more resources, right? So because before, you know, you had to be in a particular parts and cities and then you have access to these universities and people coming and that could limit you versus now that not just your servers and you know a scale at a fraction of a second you can really serve as many users as you like based on these new technologies of serverless and microservices and everything but also you can really scale your resources and tap into a lot of resources even if you may not necessarily have access to you know, any university in the, in the radius of 20, 30 miles from where you work, and still you can really work with zillions of talented people remotely. So that's the other aspect that might have changed the way we as software companies and SaaS companies now need to look at and do conduct our business. Yeah, absolutely. It's really changed in the last three to four years. Prior to that, the companies that I've been involved with, we've hired the majority of our developers within 30 miles of a location. And we've had all of those people come to that location to do their work. And you hire great people, but the problem is maybe you're not hiring the best experts in a particular area. You're having to make some sacrifices just because maybe that geography doesn't have the talent across all the different technologies that you need to use that's there at the level that you want. When we started SmartSuite, our idea was we're going to hire the best talent wherever they're at. This is, you know, six months, nine months before COVID started. We thought we had a great idea here. And our, our goal was to, to do two things. We wanted to find great talent anywhere in the world that we wanted to work with. And our product is in 15 languages. So we wanted the perspective of different people and different geographies as we begin to build and design the product as a whole. But what we found along the way, and that's been very interesting with a number of companies I've invested in as well, is that we found three development organizations that we work with, and we have people in nine different countries on our development team, and we have a combination of in-house. We have an in-house CTO and people, but then we have three in developers, and then we have three organizations that we work with from a mobile standpoint, from kind of our core platform and some of our high-end work that we do. And what's interesting about those is those organizations have hundreds and hundreds, 300 developers that are on staff. We have a core team with each of those that we work with every day. But as we develop new things, we can reach into that team, that pool of 300 people and pull in an expert to work on one particular area for a specific period of time. The value to us in that is we could not afford to hire a person in that area at the level that we need long term, but we could afford them for three or four months as they help us solve particular problems. So what I've seen change overall is just the willingness for startup companies to be more open to using what we've traditionally called contracting firms. But in our case, they become partners because we allow them to take a portion of their fees and equity back in SmartSuite. So we feel like they're really connected with us. They're motivated around the success of the company. We have a core team, but it also 
our development team could next week, if we had a, a project that came to light, we could bring on 20 new people in the matter of a week, use them for three or four months, and then have them roll off the project if needed that's there. Fascinating. So again, I see some maybe common themes between these two unrelated topics that we just discussed, meaning no code and also remote working, because both of them, in a way, it's giving you more flexibility, right? So no code gives more flexibility to the end users. They don't need to call you and say, can you change your code to do this for me? They can just do it on their own. And from your company's perspective, you have more flexibility when you are working with this remote and decentralized model and working with, you know, developers. And that's the kind of trend that we see. So I think that the trend is the market is asking for more flexibility, something quicker, something easier, something maybe more cost effective, right? So those are the main drivers. And if you think of, again, these two unrelated topics, but both of them have exactly the same kind of drive behind them that somebody is thinking, if I can do it faster, better, cheaper, why not, right? So, yeah. so that drives both of them. Yeah, I, I think on the, you know, the hiring of developer side that it's not always necessarily cheaper, but I think it's on par to you hiring your own people, but it gives you the the added flexibility to bring in the, the real experts for a period of time in certain areas that you could never afford. And in our case, we have a CTO on each of those teams, plus our CTO that we have in the company. We would never be able to hire four CTO level people to work on a, you know, a, a product like SmartSuite. Very rarely would a startup have that, that capability. So it, it brings great perspective. And we have stand-up meetings that include for the first two hours of every day, early my time, I'm on the West Coast. So we're starting at 6.30 and from 6.30 to 8.30, we touch each of the teams and the developers and our DevOps across that with our stand-up calls. So everybody knows what's going on, what they did yesterday, what they're working on today to kind of feel like more of a cohesive group of people, even though we're remote. And then we have architecture calls. So we bring in those four CTOs and a core group of people. And we talk about the next piece that we're building. And even the, the person that's building it and architecting it describes the architecture, documents the architecture. And then we get input from the other people on the architecture at a detailed level, meaning they really poke at it to make sure we're doing the right thing. And that has allowed us to develop things right the first time and have lessons learned from a bigger group of people than you, we would typically have with just a single CTO. Yeah. So in a way, the team structure, as I understand, you say it can even change based on these new models. So you can even structure the team differently. And I wonder from your perspective, has the interaction between product management and engineering and QA changed? I mean, they have different kind of a structure, meaning that if you had this company started 10, 15 years ago, would have a structure totally differently or slightly differently or exactly the same when it comes to, you know, all of these components that build the product team? Yeah, I, I think that what's happening now that was different from how I've been involved in the past is that we had a separate product development division. We had a separate QA division. In some cases, we had a manual and an automated QA division. Then you have your, you know, your engineering team, your development group that's there. You know, the new way of doing that is you have teams of people 
that are working together on projects on different features that include QA people automated and manual, includes the business analyst and the product team and the engineering team working together. And those are the people that are on our stand-up calls each morning that we have. And we don't we don't talk about people based on their role, meaning we talk about the feature and the problem we're trying to solve and everybody provides their input, even during the requirements gathering session. So the business analyst will help document the requirements that are coming from kind of the overall vision, but the QA team will work at the beginning to help find holes and things that we need to think about that's in there. And then the engineering team often thinks about better ways that we could think about doing that feature where we could take advantage of code that we've already written or components that are already available. So all of that happens up front now compared to 10 years ago, it was just a very linear model in that you would just go down this, this list of things that needed to get done before you would develop. Now, from a feature function perspective, how do you see, for example, from your perspective, you mentioned that you guys are providing all-in-one kind of platform to save essentially people's time so they don't need to really go and just use multiple applications you provide the platform in a way that is very unified, it's all in one. You go there, you learn how to work with one segment, and if you want, you can multiple parts of it, and it does take care of everything. In the past, I do remember, for example, when a still marketing automation was new concept back then, and then some of these platforms came to market, like Eloqua or Marketo or these kind of things. And then they brought a lot of functionalities are related to marketing kind of automation into one platform. They got bigger, bigger, bigger. And then at one point, it worked reversed. So many companies have started taking one function out of those big platforms and tens, maybe hundreds of these startups in MarTech started to really come out and say, we are just doing landing page creation. We are not doing anything else. And we do it the best. And then it's starting these kind of single functions and getting really great. And it went back and forth in a way, like from a very big unified platform to some, you know, very best of the kind of functions that you have. And then how do you see that trend can work? Do you see it more like we are getting into a particular place that ultimately what we want is a unified but we have to go back and forth to get there or is just each one of them has its own kind of market that sometimes people go and want all in one and sometimes people want just the best of the breed of that kind of function and that's the only thing they really go to market to search for yeah no i mean great question very very valid for most companies that are thinking about a no-code platform like smart suite our philosophy there is we, we want you to bring as much as you have as you can inside of your business into our platform when you come on board. However, we provide you a magnitude of different ways that you can integrate with the, those one-off products that you already have, or maybe you want to keep Salesforce for your CRM and you want to sync data. Maybe you want HubSpot to have some information for your lead gen still or Bamboo on the HR side. So we give you those connectors into those products to sync data as well in real time that's there. And most of our customers that come to us with that, they they have a process or a series of processes in their company that they're considering SmartSuite for. And we help them get started by, we provide 200 business process templates 
out of the gate for them across about 35 segments of different companies. So whether you're a software company, a, a doctor, a lawyer, a real estate, what, whatever it might be, we have templates that are specific to you for certain processes. And these aren't just a couple of fields that are on a page that you start with. These are best in class processes from industry experts so that if you don't know what a best in class CRM process implementation looks like, we show you that. But maybe you say, I don't want best in class. I'm okay with just the medium version, right? Give me that. So we show you that. Or you may say, I I'm just looking for the beginner version. So we try to give you the same process in a couple different flavors that's there. If you logged into our product and just looked at our marketing processes, you'll see that there's probably 30 or 35 different processes that people have asked for that are in those templates to solve the problems like you've just said, where I only want to do this one small thing here. The other side of that is there's some great products that do one thing really, really well. And I think over time, you're going to see more and more of that into no code platforms, but there's still going to be a need for those one-off things that you just really like to have. And it's important to have an easy way to integrate the information back and forth. So it doesn't feel like two separate products or platforms. I could go into either product and see information kind of in real time that's coming from both of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the pain of integration, to be honest with you, is a real pain, meaning that if you have multiple systems, you can spend more time and money just integrating them rather than just building or buying everything separately. So definitely I can see the need and the drive behind that decision that, you know what, just give me something that they can work with each other perfectly fine because otherwise, if I just obtain these functionalities independently, I may not be able to actually, you know, do the integration myself. Yeah. When new customers come on board, it's pretty common for them to say, we, we have these eight to 10 other products that we use. And they say, we use them because we like them. But what we don't like is that all our information is duplicated in these different places. And we don't know which one has the latest greatest information for the company, right? So they can't have reports and dashboards and things that really have the health of the overall organization because the data is in different places. So we begin to work with them to say, maybe they're using type form or job form or one, two, three form builder to click form information. We say, well, we have a form builder for that very reason. And every time somebody enters data in a form, it brings it directly in. There's no integration that's needed. So that's usually like the first step that they say. And then they say, you know, we have project management that we're doing and it's linked to accounts that are typically in our CRM. So now we have customer data in two places, right? In our sales system and in our project management. So for us, that's just a link. You just set up a link between this project and that account record. It takes about 10 seconds. And now I'm just pulling all the data that's been entered from the CRM and it's always in sync. So it's those little things that help organizations be more efficient and save time kind of in the day-to-day -day work of the employees by just being smarter, just working smarter from a technology perspective. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I just wanted to ask for your opinion about it, and that's something that these smart suites or applications that you know we bring to the market and people use it, where do you think it will be, what major changes it will have, major upgrades in 10 years from now? Where do you see that the same thing that we have improved a lot compared to 10, 15 years ago, when you are doing this, you feel like these are the places that is still people probably want to do a better 
Maybe it's about devices. Maybe it's about expansion on the performance. Maybe it's about security aspect of it that still needs to be improved. Maybe it's about usability of it, ease of use. Maybe it's about something that does not require a computer to work with. It's more natural communication interfacing with these devices. What is the aspect that you have in mind that if we have this discussion again in 10 years and we listen to this podcast and go back and say, yep, that happened. This was exactly what we thought that we are going to see a lot of improvements in the next 10 years when it comes to these applications. Yeah, if you look at kind of the no-code market right now, you're seeing that small to medium-sized businesses are jumping on board by the thousands every day onto these no-code platforms, right? It's just easy. It's cost-effective. They can just get to work by starting a trial, seeing if they like it. If they don't like it, going to the next product and you know making a selection very quick. Where in the past, it could take months you know, for you to work out agreements with the vendors and download their software and use it. Now it's all available on the web. And you're seeing that move very quickly into larger enterprises as well. So no code started kind of with the small and medium that's really taking off. It's moving into the large. And what's happening now that's just starting to happen is you're seeing the Fortune 1000 begin to hire individuals in their organizations that are no-code specialists that are helping pick the technologies for those companies from a no-codes perspective that they'll begin to build all the processes that they need in the different departments on that technology. I think 10 years from now, what you're going to see is that most Fortune 1000 companies are going to have two or three no-code platforms that they have selected that the people in the various departments, divisions can use. They make them available. They're just there. You can use A or B, but those platforms are also easily integrated back and forth like we've been talking about. So they're going to put the control and the power of the process in the hands of the departments, divisions, or even down to the teams as compared to going and buying or building, in most cases, these products that take sometimes years to build and customize. And when you want to make a change, you have to hire a developer to come back and do that. We're just starting to see in our customer base, the Fortune 1000 is talking about that and contacting us and wanting to know more information about large volumes of users, tens of thousands of people that can be on the platform at a time versus the hundreds that you're seeing in the small to medium-sized businesses that are using things now. So ultimately for SmartSuite, that's the market segment that we think has the biggest potential for us longer term. And I think in 10 years, if you follow even some of the large banks right now and their CTOs and these new no-code positions that they've hired and you just listen to them talk about, they have hundreds and hundreds of products in these companies. They have such a hard time getting their head around that. The no-code and low-code platforms are very beneficial to them. You know, if they can provide the the security and the capabilities, uh, the resiliency that they expect, it's very beneficial to them long-term. The other aspect that I was thinking might be helpful to drive this no-code and, you know, even further to the next level is maybe better, smarter algorithms, I would say, you know, so, so that kind of automations that you see. A very simple example might be Google spreadsheet. When you load data, sometimes you see it's looking at your data and then making some recommendation that otherwise you had to really go there and be savvy enough to write those formulas and detect, for example, duplicate rows in your data and understand which rows you could just remove them because 
but it does it for you. So it just automatically look at your data and optionally provides you some kind of recommendation. Do you like for me to clean up your data? And these are the things I see in your data. And then with a few clicks, done. So that's actually a good example of a no-code versus I had to in old days go there in my Excel spreadsheet and write all of these formulas and detect all of these you know, anomalies and outliers and everything and clean up my data myself. Do you see that also be a good driver that helps really no code takes it home? So no code is about all about having, you know, as much of your information as possible in a single environment. And the value to that is once we have it, we can run different reports and metrics on that information and we can create those reports and metrics that are there. And most companies have metrics for CRM and, you know, marketing things that they have internally. But what's really interesting then is using AI to be able to look back into the data and maybe bring back things that they haven't been thinking about and show you that maybe 25% of your business is coming from this small segment of users because of these five things that we're seeing in the data. And it can just show you that compared to you trying to go in and run reports to figure that out yourself, it helps bring those details to life. There's a lot of great work that's happening on the AI side. We're in tune with all of that. We're super focused right now on getting all of the data in structures that allows AI to do its work on top of us to help pull out that interesting information. But it's happening right now that AI is definitely happening, but you wait two years and you're going to see most products are going to have this, what will probably be called insights is what we call it, where I can push a button and it will go in and pull data back and give me insights into the data that I've asked it to look at on its own and create charts and graphs and show things to me as opposed to me needing to manually create that. Yeah, fantastic. It has been a great discussion. I would like to ask you also if you have any book in mind to provide us a suggestion on that front, something that you liked and it was helpful to you. Sure. Yeah, I'll give you a book that probably came out, poof, it's probably been 15 years ago, but it's Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And it's great for people that are kind of in a startup kind of role, maybe you know, building a new business to think about how other people have done that. And what Malcolm Gladwell did was he took about, I think, 10 or 12 different people and companies and even some rock bands. And he went back to understand why those particular people were successful. And he he kind of then digested all that information back up with a couple of things. The first one he, he said was he, he really found across all those different cases that to be an expert in a particular area, you need about 10,000 hours of experience, right? And he tries to show that how it works with Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and, you know, the Beatles and hockey players and some lawyers in New York, just very different cases. And to show you where they got that experience. And then the second one is it's all about opportunity. And it's not necessarily about luck. Like if you look at Bill Gates, Bill Gates had the experience on a computer based in Seattle at the time that nobody else had access to other than this junior high kid that was going in the middle of the night, like two or three in the morning to use the computer. He had a level of expertise that nobody else had. And when the opportunity came to build an operating system for first computers, IBM, he was in a really unique position because he had knowledge that other people didn't have because of the circumstances he was there. So Malcolm Gladwell goes through that with all these different segments of people. And I just found it fascinating to understand that 
you know, to be successful in a startup, you need really two things. You need to be an expert. You need to have the 10,000 hours and you need to have opportunity. And sometimes opportunity creates the chance to become an expert. Other times you're an expert and that creates the opportunity that's there. But yeah, great, great book. I would highly recommend it. Great. Thank you very much. It was great having you here. And thanks for joining us. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ishragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve A, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.